Hello, data enthusiasts. This is Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Welcome to Data Hurls. We are your gateway into the intricate world of data, where AI, machine learning, big data, and social justice intersect. Expect thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and insights from experts all across the industries as we explore the unexpected ways data impacts our lives. So get ready to be informed, inspired, and excited about the future of data. Let's conquer these data hurdles together. Hello, welcome to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel and I'm Michael Burke. How are you doing, Chris? Good. How about you? Good, good. It's been a busy day today. We've, we're going full steam ahead on a bunch of projects at work. Really excited about it. And in the midst of February vacation coming up, so planning vacations and all of that with the kids. So a lot of things going on, a lot of irons in the fire. How about yourself? Yeah, things are good. Finally here in Dallas, it's a little bit warmer-ish, but rainy and nasty outside. But at least I can get outside and run without having to put on a bunch of clothes or just not want to go. You know what I mean? So yeah, things are good, man. No vacations for me, though. Very nice. Today, we have a special guest with us today. It's Krishnan Venkata, Chief Client Officer at Leighton View Analytics. Krishnan, how are you today? Doing good, Mike. Nice to meet you, Chris, as well. You as well. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart is Chris, demystifying generative AI and its potential for driving growth. Kristen, you have a really interesting perspective on this. But before we jump in and get started, would you mind just giving a brief introduction of yourself, a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive into a few of these questions. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. So I have over 20 years of experience in the technology services and the knowledge services space. Been close to 16 years with a firm called Latent View, part of the founding team, part of the team, part of the team that actually set up our US office and currently manage the overall US business for, for Latent View. Excellent. That's great. And in your role, this idea around AI and specifically generative AI. When you're working with clients, tell us a little bit more of a background of how that's been going in the last year or year and a half, right? Obviously, large language models have been instrumental in a lot of budgeting and funding lately. And I think a lot of CEOs and CTOs are struggling to separate what is hype versus what is reality. I think there are three parts of how we look at generative AI. First of all, it's been a watershed moment in the industry in terms of generative AI because it has been pervasive across all walks of life, all industries, all functions. And the use cases are tremendous, right? So obviously, lot, it, has, it has caught the attention of every single person out there, right? Now, the interesting thing is we looked at it from three aspects. First aspect was we have building a bunch of solutions that we take to the market. How could we enhance those solutions to have generative AI components to make them better suited to address some of our clients' needs? And that was very fantastic. That was very useful and insightful. For example, we have a, a value proposition around helping design decision boards, which we call dashboards, which enable decisions for clients. And when we started using generative AI as a layer on top of it to also come up with generative insights and not just provide visuals, but also not just analysis, but generative insights, that became more exciting and powerful for our clients. 
So that's one thing which is incorporating that already into solutions that we are taking out into this and making them even more relevant for the clients. The second part of it has been, there has been a whole host of use cases that clients have typically been looking at, which were saying that these are problems that we have and we have not been able to tackle or come to. And then we found that when Generative AI came about, large language models could be great solution solvers or problem solvers for those kind of areas. And we have started picking up those conversation threads and said, concern that you had. We couldn't solve it because the technology didn't exist, etc. But now it's possible with generative AI. So let's take this out. And that's been there. The third has been, we have also come up with newer potential use cases that could be there. One of our solutions where we call it the AI pen pal is around doing what we call real-time customized content for clients. And this is completely automated and using generative AI. And how can you customize this at scale for your entire prospect base so that you can target a fairly large prospect base, but also give a personalized this one. And that shows a significant amount of returns of investment in terms of the click rates, pass-through rates, etc. So we're seeing a lot of excitement around newer use cases, which are now possible because of this. And we're not doing this only for our clients. We're also looking at our internal functions and seeing how we can use a chat. So there are, I would say, a lot of areas where we are exploring uh, generative AI. That's really interesting. One thing that's always interesting to me is decision trees. And just to give you a little bit of background about myself and for viewers that are tuning in for the first time, I've been working with large language models for the past several years, and I've been in the AI space for about the past decade now. So this is definitely near and dear to my heart. How, when you're creating a decision tree for a problem space, how do you provide the large language model, the context it needs to be able to evaluate a decision when you're communicating with a client? Because obviously there's a lot of information, a wealth of information, I would say that the large language models that chat GPTs have, but the relevance of the situation that you're trying to drive with a customer would require a lot of probably circumstance and definition. Yeah. I think the part of this is, since you have been in the space for so many years, you would understand the benefits of supervised versus unsupervised learning, right? So the first part of any uh, model is to go unsupervised and allow it to figure out certain things. And the second part of it is to learn and test that against known outcomes and refactor that back into the learning. So it has to be a process of continuous learning, GPT component, and just assume that as the gospel. What's going to be important is to take that, to take the output, initially being as unsupervised as possible, then try to identify that, okay, there are certain cases in which it's not working or its outcomes are not really good. Understanding what are those reasons for those outcomes not being good, add those factors, and that's what you will call as context, and then refactor them into this as you would do with any modeling problem where you start with a certain set of variables, throw the kitchen sink at it, and then try to start refining this. We have also found one important thing with using generative AI models is to set up guardrails of performance. Right? Mm -hmm. For example, and this is just a, uh, this one, um, I mean, a hypothetical scenario in which say, for example, you allow the machine to decide the offer that it needs to give to the customer for conversion. And Customer decides whether I should give a 5% uh, off, 10% off, 15% off. And assume it is unsupervised. It's possible that the AI could come up with saying that give 100% off for the customer. 
right? Only then will he convert. So basically give the product for free. So that's not something that the company would actually require. So he needs to set a card rate saying that give up to a max of 15%, etc. And between 0 and 15% is your card rate. It's a simple example, but the importance of guardrails are also important in making sure that sensitivity and that it does not behave wrong. And those are important things to be used. And that is why testing is extremely important in multiple contexts. Really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting methodology. When you're working with clients and you start to engage in these kind of contracts, right? What are some of the biggest misconceptions they have about generative AI. And I would say, how do they differ from what you've been able to provide with the technology to date? I think the, I wouldn't say that, I would say it's terrible misconception, but it's also a bit of the hype that has been created around generative AI is that it's a magic wand or a magic source that will solve everything. And it is completely out of the box. It's, you don't need to do anything around it. And we are all learning how to use it and live with it. and learn with it and there are limitations on things that are that are just fantastic on there are limitations on what you cannot do that you can do with this also it's not a solve for every single problem out there think about it as another layer of intelligence that can be attached to it but it is not the be all and end all so when we work with clients the three things that i would say that we go wrong on is the importance of understanding that you won't get it right the first time right it's not going to Absolutely perfect. Second is, we need to try, uh, pilot it, start small, learn from that, and then scale as we learn. We cannot assume and just assume that everything will work uh, fine on this one. As with any mm-hmm. technology rollout. Third, what we underst- underestimate significantly around this is the user adoption. We just assume that if it is generative AI, people will just want to use the solution that comes out of it. They trust everything that comes out of this. That's not the case. People are skeptics. They will say that you're changing something. They've done something different. I would like to understand what's there, etc. So you have to spend a lot of time into getting buy-in from the users around this and changing business processes. So it's less the technology solution, but more the adoption, which is going to be important in driving it. We get caught up in the technology and forget the human the other aspects, the human and the process aspects of it. And those typically become a problem and we spend a lot of time correcting, recorrecting, refactoring around that. I, I couldn't agree more. And I would say that one thing that's been really interesting to me, especially with ChatGPT in the last several months, is they've been very creative at the ways that they've started to add human-in-the-loop feedback. So as an example... You used to be able to hit like a, was this what you were looking for? And you'd hit a little thumbs up or a thumbs down if you disapproved of what it returned. Yeah. Now what I've seen, which is really interesting, is they're switching to this AP testing model where they'll give you two responses and say, which one's better, right? And they're actually, what they're doing behind the scenes is hyper-tuning this model for specific areas or even agents, potentially. Obviously, ChatGPT is a closed model, but a lot of the research that's coming out right now is talking about this multi-model structure that's forming in the space where you might think that you're only communicating with one agent, which is ChatGPT, but behind the scenes, depending on the type of question you ask, a specific expert agent is loaded in that can help better answer or understand the questions you're trying to ask. To me, this is going to be an evolution and we're going to see, I think that in 
myself, I originally thought that we would start to see more specialized agents in the large language model space come out that just did one thing really well. But what we're starting to really see, I think, is more of these conglomerate agents getting more specialized in specific areas. And Detzel, I don't know if that makes sense to your I was about to ask a question. Yeah, go for it. So you're saying there is a human in the back end of it or no? An agent is a specific model thing that people... Great question. The agent is a specific model trained for certain tasks. So it's a specialist. What happens with a lot of these large language models is when they overgeneralize, they're not great at answering specific questions. Got it. So if you get put into communicating with a specific type of model or an agent, it will be much better. It'll have much deeper domain expertise in the questions that you're asking. I just wonder, you mentioned something about humans being a part of that or not. Well, I just feel like at some point you're going to have, so I'll give an example, just when you're on like a chat on an e-commerce site or maybe even a product site or a company site or whatever, and they have all these kind of pre-scripted kind of things. Now, chat GPT or large language models isn't really necessarily pre-scripted. It's just the answers by what it already knows. But point is like, eventually there's a chat agent that comes in because those scripted things aren't either answering the question right, or they're not getting the information that they need. So it's still humans trying to get information. And so I would assume that, yes, I think these are going to progress, but there's got to be some of that human interaction engagement. I'm starting to see, and maybe I'm getting off here, but I'm starting to see companies create chat bots or chat agents. I don't know what you call them, but, and they're calling it whatever. Hey, talk to whatever it's called. And on our documentation, on our community, on our whatever, and we're st- they're starting to answer those questions specifically. What if you give them the wrong answer? You know what I mean? There's got to be like a, I don't think that's right. Click this button, interfere human right now or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's going to be all kinds of problems in the beginning in this stuff. There already, I, I is. Would say, there already is, right? There yeah. was a really interesting article I read a couple months ago on a large company, I won't name the specifics, that released an internal large language model as an HR helper. And a data scientist at that company was able to extract all the payroll information for every employee from that large language model by asking it the right set of prompts. Jesus. Right. And so this is one of these problems where the misconception on training this agent that was supposed to be a specialist in HR was, oh, give it all the information, right? So it can make the most informed decisions about our company and help our, and it was really a misunderstanding of how an agent should be interacting and what kind of information you should give it. So they, to your point, did they, they had to give, they gave that information to the model? They did, unfortunately. Right. And it was somebody <laughs> who probably didn't know what they were doing. They got it over oh, their head. And yeah. bringing it back a little bit, because I think that these stories are really interesting, but We have an industry expert here who's working on the field. Chris and I are both working for product-based companies. We're building products, but I would say, Chris, you are getting exposure across, I'm sure, a wide range of industries. Which ones have you seen the most significant change with generative AI? And do you have any kind of concrete examples of how much growth or improvement that's provided to those large organizations? So I think this, we are hearing these use cases or at least 
interest in these use cases from almost all industries, bar none, that's there. And there are two types of interests. One of them is around specific solutions which leverage generative. The second part of it is the point that you talked about, which is more co-pilot based, which is how do you enhance the productivity, efficiency, or the effectiveness of the specific person executing the task. In our experience, based on the conversations we have had, we have found firms more which are very technology platform intensive who have been extremely open to explore this, right? We have also found out digital companies that have treasure troves of data and a lot of unstructured data in these cases and who have not necessarily mined this a lot, having used, looking into use cases where they are looking at large language models quite a bit. The third use case that we are seeing quite a bit is knowledge bases that reside across the organization. Now you just talked about HR, right? You talked about HR as a space which had all this information and then you, because people have to go and find out policies and informations and things like that in different places. That's where we are finding that across business functions also saying that the sales organization wants to understand, are we doing things on the marketing side? Are we doing things on the product side? Have there been past campaigns that have run? What are the things that we have to learn about, etc. And large organizations have all of this information in different places. This is a great place. We are seeing a lot of use cases around this. So the search element of it is bringing this. These are the three broad things, but technology platform companies and digital companies, I would say, are on the forefront of implementing a lot of use cases. Business to business firms as well. We are seeing a lot of, based on some one of the solutions that we build around looking and targeting long tail of customers. Mm-hmm. We are seeing a significant amount of use cases around that and interest around that as well. The basic thing is about... Hey, when you say long... Sorry, I'm curious now. When you say long-term or long-tail of the customer, is it, hey, this customer bought and then they're doing these things or they bought this product and they're doing these things after they bought or you... I guess I'm just trying to follow. Sure. So actually for us, it's long-tail customers are two. One is there are companies that have relationships, B2B companies which have relationships Uh in the millions, multi-millions or hundreds of millions. And these companies also have products which there are customers which spent about $500 to $1,000 also. Right? Yeah. So the com- these companies, if it is, if it are, they're enterprise customers, which is over a billion dollars are spent, etc. They have account managers, account reps that yeah. are doing. If they are anything between a half a million or maybe even 200k plus annual spend, they will still have 100 such accounts get grouped under an account rep, etc. Yeah, anything right. less that is all self-serve. Right? If yeah. you're spending and Guess what? Those customers also need to be responded because it's a huge set of customers that are there. And maybe there are customers that you have to upsell to. You can cross-sell. Yeah, that's right. And well, I'm highly interested. Them. So I'm very, I'm learning a lot right now. Are you, how is AI helping? Obviously, self-service is a big opportunity there because in my experience in working with companies, we've been trying to do self-service forever. For 20 years now, it seems like we'd start an online community and say, customers that spend $50,000 or less, go into the community and they can just self-serve. We have documentation and all this stuff and it's still not enough, right? People are still wanting to connect to peers. People are still needing answers that aren't getting help because then they'll have to go to the support and all of these things. I do believe, and I think you're right, is having a, and it's not just customers that spend less than 40,000. Customer that hasn't spending a million dollars is still going to go to the self-serve. They're looking at documentation. They're looking at trying to get quick answers, get support isn't going to be quick, you know what I mean? Or their CSM isn't going to be quick. 
necessarily. I'm not saying that they don't get the white glove, but I do think if you, it's what you're talking about is the AI stuff from that standpoint is going to help a ton or has a potential. Yeah, there yeah. is obviously, right? Because people don't have to go to the community. Think about an interactive. The community is an intelligent portal which is able to give you the information that you're looking for. Automatically, you become... That's what you're Googling for, right? You are you're basically doing this and you're having this with respect to... I think support the, type stuff. Yes, I agree with it. Yes, that's, people that's still going to want to connect others. Absolutely, yep. Absolutely. They will want to do that. But imagine the second use case, which is how do you target these customers at the right time with the right kind mm-hmm. of service, with the right kind of offer? Why yeah. do you assume that the person who has spent only $5,000 is not a million-dollar customer? Maybe he's trying it out. Maybe he's got a specific use case. Yeah. Maybe there is something in his use case which resembles some of your bigger customers, etc. This is like needle in a haystack, right? And humans cannot be looking at that alone. Which yep. is where the human in the loop, where a lot of this can be surfaced. What we have, and what our solutions are doing now is can we identify such cross segments of customers and at scale personalize and reach out information about new products that are coming, other customers that are using similar kind of products, etc. Big amount of interest that comes back from this long thing. And when there is interest, route it to your sales teams in terms of saying that this is an interest on the specific thing, right? Now, this is where the evolution has started, right? Which is saying that we are seeing more scaled reach outs and more targeted reach outs, which to have, otherwise to this base has been, they have been just carry fodder in terms of just basically giving the same message to millions of prospects saying that, oh, this is all the products that are out there and they don't care for it. That's interesting. Sorry. I, I, I think this is one is I think about what you just said about targeting customers when they, when there's a different op- products that might be available to them through AI. One of the things that I've seen is there's this this AI email kind of thing that is so a potential customer and or a prospect and or customer comes in and it's this chat bot thing that gets the customer's information and then can write an email directly to them about some kind of product or whatever. Just now you take out BDRs out of the loop. And you can now start, or even CSMs in this case, and they can start writing the emails automatic magically, right? Like it, this is happening today. There's technologies doing that. We actually bought one. So, and you know what's the interesting thing? Now, to the question that was asked before in terms of what is the misconception of this? So, sounds great. Yeah. One big issue that businesses have with this is if this happens and AI is going to write those emails and it's going to be there. The question is, how will the BDR ever learn how to write emails? They don't have right? to because and you're so, probably going to get rid of them at some point. And that is... No, so you don't have to get rid of them. That's the other point, right? So the moment we come with this perception that we have to get rid of them, the point, I'm, uh, point I feel is there is still a huge long tail of under, unaddressed opportunity that you need to yeah. re them to. And yeah. the fantastic thing is... Yeah. So the point is, maybe they're doing a task there. Maybe they're trying to learn and write better emails, which is not where they should be focusing on. Yeah. Rather, they should be focusing on how is the product going to address that uh, thing and worry, worry about whether you've put the best language, best product, etc., to a engine. Mm. So it's like saying that: Do you worry about the do you worry about the addition, subtraction, etc., of a big formula, or are you looking at solving the analysis? Yeah, taking your time and spending it on the right things, etc. But these are concerns that businesses have: is that if AI picks this up then how will the BDR learn how to do this? And that's a 
And these are things that you have to go to the those resistance points, then work with them in terms of finding out how those resistance points can be addressed, etc. And then it can be beneficial. That's where adoption is important. I think this is such an interesting conversation. And if you take this even one step further, what makes a great BDR or CSM is their ability to, and their experience to be able to understand the context of where and whom they're selling to or what problem they're solving for their customers. And to me, Chris, I don't think that we can ever get rid of good salespeople and good supporters. I agree. Because sure, maybe there's this this use case for people who are doing the cold calling and, and don't have a lot of experience. But when you get into actually solving problems in a complex ecosystem, there is too much domain knowledge that isn't even related to the industry. It's related to how much you know about the people and the customers mm -hmm. that an AI would, it would be so hard to collect that information over a period of time. And even things like body language, right? And tonality changes in communication. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a call where somebody said, oh no, this is great. Everything's fine. And they're going to churn. I think we still have a long way to go before AI can really get to a place. And this is where I think there's, when we were talking about misconceptions and bringing it back a little bit, I think this is where we start to go into the, what are really the limitations of AI? It has amazing background and knowledge. Can it understand the context of a human and the sentiment of a human? No, not yet. Can it really pull together the micro relationships and notes that you pick up as an experienced salesperson? I haven't seen it succeed at that. What I have seen it succeed at is being able to communicate confidently, clearly, and effectively on baseline principles. And I think that's really where, if you think about what use cases can that help with, look at like your Stack Overflow replacements. Look at, we're building an app right now called Deets. You can go look it up. It's a travel itinerary planner, right? That helps you get to a more customized experience in travel. Look at the online dating world. There's places where I think you're going to see a lot more AI in the B2B space. There's huge opportunity, right? Kristan, one other question for you that I think is really important for us is a lot of the listeners on our call are CTOs and CEOs who are getting into the data space or they've invested into it and they're looking to be inspired, looking for next steps. What steps should companies take when they begin their journey of integrating generative AI meaningful, meaningfully into their operations? Yeah, I think very important to do it as to rather than looking at integrating generative AI into their approach is to identify that when they are thinking about the entire plan that they have, what are they looking to accomplish from a, what are they looking to accomplish from solving the use cases for the business stakeholders, right? Data, technology, Analytics exemplar foundations for solving businesses problems. So the first important thing is what are the business problems that you are looking to solve and how are we looking to integrate this? Then identify as we are as you have created those wish lists that you have put and you have put it in your roadmap. Identify if there are use cases that have uh, a, a significant impact that can be delivered through generative AI and start small. That's where the proof concept start quick, quick pilots that are there. Try to run them, do them, and try to fail fast with them, right? Try to take them, see this, see what it means in your context. Because what works in somebody else's context need to necessarily work in your context. So I think the use, using the pilots, trying the MVPs, trying to try it with one small department or a small function, etc. Seeing the success for it before you roll it out in a big way is a, 
is a phenomenal way to then think about when it goes into roadmap. I actually also typically feel that trying to put generative AI from the top, which is saying, let's put that into the roadmap, mm -hmm. pushes people to just use generative AI for generative AI's sake. And Couldn't that becomes more. a and that yep. becomes a bit of a problem because then that's where the hype gets created saying that I have to use it across this. So we should go from a use case based approach, look at what we are looking to accomplish, then put the plan in this and find out places where generative AI can make an impact based on what we are seeing in the market. And we can help. We have our, one of the things that our consulting firm does is spend time with the businesses around identifying those business use cases, coming back, not with just saying, oh, the, this is, this is a pipeline that we're going to sell you. These are places where we are seeing those use cases in organization. These are, uh, and these are where we think you should be using it in your roadmap. Come up with a roadmap and then have the discussion. And I think that will be a better thing for CDOs and CIOs to look at. Excellent. Krista and Vigata, thank you so much. Chief Client Officer at Leighton View. This was an incredibly insightful discussion. To your children, we, Chris and I, are not AI, just to call out if they do tune in. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please don't forget to rate and review us, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Take care. Thank, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Chris.